Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, there was a little girl from a poor section of a large city, and she became ill on Christmas Day. And of course, her family, being worried, they took her to the hospital, and there she was lying in the bed. And when she was lying in the bed, she overheard outside the the carolers singing Christmas carols. And while she listened, someone told how Christ had come to redeem the lost world. She overheard that, and with childlike faith, she received the gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus. And then later on, she said to the nurse, I am having such a good time here. I know I'll have to go home soon as, as I'm well, but I'm going to take Jesus with me. Isn't it wonderful why he was born? He came to save us. Yes, said the nurse wearily. That's an old story. Oh, said the girl. Do you know about him too? You didn't look like you did. Why, how did I look, she asked. Oh, like a lot of folks, sort of glum. I thought if you really understood that he, be, that he came to bring us heaven, that you would be glad. Church, I wonder how many of us, by the way we behave, by the way we look, by the way we conduct ourselves, I wonder how many of us communicate to others that we know the Savior We know Jesus in the presence of fullness of joy, right? In whose right hand is full of pleasures forever. I wonder, church, how many of us experienced the fact, experienced, encountered the fact that Jesus came so that you and I would have life and have it more abundantly. See, church, listen. He wants his joy to be in us and our joy to be made full. Now, I know what we're thinking, church. Some of us, we feel like, Pastor Ben, if I'm honest, I'm lacking in the joy department, right? I'm lacking in that. There is no fullness of joy. And I'm saying to you, well, if you are today, you might benefit in the learning and the teaching and the hearing of Jesus' first miracle when he turned about 180 gallons of water into wine at a wedding at Cana of Galilee. Now, here's what I want you to note, guys. In this wedding, Jesus didn't look at him and say, no, no, y'all had enough fun. You know what? Let them drink water. You know what he did? He made lots of wine, and they had lots of fun. And while there's more to this story, guys, one obvious lesson that we can grasp, and I want you to understand this, is Jesus wasn't a killjoy. Okay, He wanted this young couple and their guests to enjoy the wedding festivities. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus, guys, wants us to enjoy the blessings of his salvation. Now, 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 now listen to me. Anytime you put on the TV in a movie, right, and it's Jesus of Nazareth, what, what picture of Jesus do you get? He's always sad. He's looking glum. He's always walking around very holy, very stern, very stoic. And you're just like, man, that's Jesus. And we never picture him of who he really is. And he's saying to us, listen, listen, guys, I want you to enjoy the blessings of your salvation. 
Now, guys, remember, last week we finished up chapter one. It was amazing. And here's what we learned, okay? We learned what it meant to be a witness, a disciple, and a true follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we've learned, okay? Remember, a witness, church, is something we are, not something we do. You guys tracking with me? It's, being a witness is something we are. It comes out automatically. It's not something we do, which is very interesting because last night I had a dream, okay? And in this dream, I was being attacked spiritually. I got that. And so I was sitting there going, Lord, I'm being attacked spiritually, and here's what I'm going to do. And I told the Lord, I'm going to go on the offense, and I'm going to tell everybody I know about Jesus. And, and I remember, and I was just walking down towards this hotel, and I was saying, do you know Jesus, and do you know Jesus? And I woke up realizing that I was witnessing in my dream and the Lord knocked on my heart and he says, remember, witnessing is not something you do, it's something you are. And in my dream, I was going to get back at the devil by witnessing and that's not really what a witness is. A witness is the natural byproduct of who we are and spending time with Jesus allows us to do that. And so we know that that's what a witness is. And church, we can really grasp that you and I can reveal more about Christ by the way we live, by the way we move, what we read, how we treat, how we pay our bills. All of this stuff says more about us as a witness than if you and I were to stand at the corner with the big sandwich board saying, the end is near, the end is near. We learned that's what it meant to be a witness. We also learned this, church, remember? That every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. And if you recall, disciple means a devoted one. And we learn that we're hoping to put those seven characteristics to a, that we would apply them in our lives of what it means to be his disciples. And you go, what were they? Well, real quick, we're not going to get into detail, but let me remind you what they are. Number one, that we're a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, no one else. We're following, we're devoted to him. Number two, awesome characteristic guys of a disciple means that we're going to recognize him as the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that's you go okay i recognize he is the lamb of god number three i'm always speaking and pointing to jesus oh sure we can have conversations about other stuff but i'm going to tell you at the end of the day what's going to come out of me is i'm going to be pointing to jesus consider yourself a sponge And a sponge will only put out what it soaks in. You guys know what I'm talking about? You take a sponge and you put it in water, and then you take that sponge and you squeeze it, what's going to come out? Water, right? That's what happens to us. We're coming in and we're soaking up God's word. We're being saturated by who God is. And now the world strives to squeeze us, and what comes out? Jesus. Hey, you want to talk about football? I'm going to point you to Jesus. Hey, you want to talk about work? It's going to end up in Jesus. Why? It's just natural. Number four characteristic, church, is that we have pure motives for following Jesus. Pure motives. And you go, why? There's a lot of people who say, I've given my life to the Lord if he can give me all his stuff. He can give me all that God wants to give me. And it's like, no, no, no. The pure motives is, listen, at the end of the day, you get Jesus. And when life is rough... And those seas are rough. And you're just, your head is about above water. You get Jesus. Listen to me, church. Listen, at the end of our lives, on our deathbed, there's not a one of us going to be saying, man, I wish I would have done this more. You know what we're going to be calling out to? With every last breath, give me Jesus. We have pure motives 
Number five, that we have a heart to spend time with Jesus, and I think that's important. We have a heart. It's not out of, it's not out of duty. Hey, you became a Christian. Uh-huh. What are you going to do? Spend time with the Lord. Okay, if you make me. Right? And then every morning you get up and you want to spend time with Jesus and you hope he doesn't show up. I hope he doesn't come. I hope he doesn't come. Well, Jesus didn't show up today. I'm going to go do my stuff. You have a heart to want to spend time with him. You want to pray. You want to read. You want to know, okay, God, I want to know more about you. And guys, here's the thing. The beauty of the word of God is that we can dig so deep and still not know who he is. And we just learn more about him. And you have a heart to spend time with Jesus. Number six. The fruit of your lives, notice the fruit of your lives will be to tell others. That's all you can do. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, brother, brother, I got to tell you about Jesus. He's the video in my life. Dude, you're all like holy roller. I know, isn't it awesome? You're just like, oh, no, no, I got to just tell you, this is what Jesus did in my life. Well, that Christianity thing is just a crutch for you. That Jesus thing, and you go, no, it isn't. It's an ambulance, man. I don't need a crutch. I need a full-on ER Give me Jesus, because my life's a mess. Anybody with me? And number seven. Church, we live the way Jesus sees us. Right? Peter, you're Simon, right? You know what Simon means? Shifting sand. Unstable. You know, you're not Simon anymore. You're the rock. You're the rock. And I don't mean the WWE rock, right? Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the rock on the word. He says, that's how I see you. That's how I see you. You're the rock. Let's do business, Peter. Now, church, listen, listen. Peter's the rock. Can I get an amen? Did Peter mess up after that? He's still the rock. And we still mess up. We still make mistakes. But we're still following the Lord. Your life has never ended because you make a mistake. Am I preaching to anybody? Okay. And then last week, church, we talked about following Jesus. Now, in our day and age, how do we follow Jesus, right? Because of social media, we go, oh, and we call it, in Twitter, you could follow me, and I'll follow you. In Facebook, if I send you a friend request, I want you to follow me. I want to be your friend. You want to be my friend. What I'm really saying is this, I want to see all of you, what you do in your life. Jesus isn't talking about social media. Jesus is saying, follow me. You go, what does it mean? Well, Mr. Webster defines it like this. It's a present and active imperative means it's a choice. It's an action. And it means it's a direct challenge. When Jesus says, hey, follow me, he's saying, hey, follow me. It's the nature of true Christianity. It's following Christ, devoting ourselves to his course and his conduct Attending his movements and walking in his steps. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, here's where you need to be careful, church. Here's where you need to be careful. If I were to tell you this morning, hey, if, if we're not friends on Facebook, let's be friends. And it takes me two seconds to add you to my friend list. You, you with me? It takes you two seconds to add me. Now we're friends. Jesus is going, here's a real danger. When I say follow me, I don't want you to simply add me to your life. I don't want to just swipe, okay? And here's what we do, church. Here's what we do. Here's a real danger. Jesus looks at us and he says, follow me. And you go, okay, let's see. I've got between 6.30 and 8. I can put you in there. But then the rest of the day is mine. And that's not what he wants. He goes, follow me. 
I've got great plans for you. And why are we so reluctant to follow the Lord, church? We're, we're standing here with our foot going, I don't know, I don't know. He's the, he's the God who created us. He knows everything about us. And he wants to walk with us. And Jesus knocks on our heart and he says, follow me. He doesn't mean just add me to the things you're already doing. And let me give you the best theological definition I found of following Jesus. Ready? The best theological definition I found is being bananas for Jesus. That's what we need to be, right? Just being bananas for Jesus, right? Devoting our lives to his service. That's what we learned in chapter 1. Now that brings us to chapter 2. In chapter 2, guys, the first 11 verses, check this out. Somebody's getting married. And we're all invited, guys, to a delightful place. Now, here's what I want you to see. Everybody smell what's going on, hear what's going on. There's joy and laughter. The place we're invited to is Cana, a village there in Galilee, where a wedding ceremony is about to begin. Jesus and his mother are there among the invited guests, but so are his disciples. As of right now, he has six. Do you know who they are, Pastor? Do he have six? Well, we know that John is there. And most commentators believe his brother James, although he's not mentioned in the text, is there. We know that Andrew was called, and we know that Philip was called, and we know that Peter was called, and we also know that Nathaniel was called, because no, you know Nathaniel's favorite quote was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, seriously? We found Jesus. He's, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth? We used to beat him up on our football team. Are you kidding me? And of course, listen, we're invited to the wedding as well. All of us are invited to the wedding. Now, some of us are going to be his guests. Some of us are just guests. You're invited to this wedding. Others, others of you are going to be his servants. You're going to be serving. You're going to be serving in the wedding. Somebody asked you, hey, can you help? And here's what I love about being servants. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with this, with you all being guests. You're inside, you're inside the, right? Where are you? You're inside the, the you're just having a beautiful time inside the banquet, and, and you're having a great time, and there's laughter, and there's joy. The servants are outside, but being a servant isn't all bad, because you're going to get a firsthand look at the very first miracle Jesus ever did. And so we're all there. Now think about this, church. This wedding was an amazing occasion. And everyone is smiling. You can feel the excitement. The ceremony is being held outdoors, and, and there's the beautiful sunshine, and Jesus is there. And Mary, his mother, is there. And we're all having a good time. You can feel it, right? The music is playing. You're just like, man, this is a great wedding. This is a great wedding. Now I've got to ask you a question, church. Before we jump into the text, here's what I thought. I thought this question, right? And I want to pose it to you. Why do you suppose Jesus from Nazareth was invited to this wedding? Think about it. Why do you think they invited Jesus? Well, okay. Some might say, well, pastor, I think he was, I think his mom was a relative, which made him a relative. And you know how you have to invite relatives to your wedding? You just sort of, oh. Well, Mary's going to help. She's bringing the, so Jesus has got to come. And, and those dudes are always hanging around with Jesus, so they better invite him. I mean, that could be a reason, right? Or another reason, let me, let me give you this reason. Maybe somebody says, um, 
Well, he's invited because it's always nice to have a rabbi or a prophet at your wedding, right? It's always good to have a pastor at your wedding. Let's invite the pastor. And so some people might think, well, that's how he did. Well, we, we, know, we heard Jesus is doing some things, and so I thought, hey, let's just invite Jesus. He, he doesn't hurt. But here's my thought. Here's my thought on why they invited Jesus. Guys, he was fun to be around. And he had radiant joy. Guys, think about this. In every movie and in our minds, we don't, we don't see Jesus as human. We don't see him being like you and I. We see him as like, oh, it's Jesus. And, and yes, we, we honor and respect him, but I'm thinking Jesus was smiling. He was radiant. He had a lot of fun. I think Jesus cut up with the disciples. And I think, and, the, and I think he was, he was just a gentleman. And I think he drew, he was lovable and he walked in the room. His smile just drew people to him. I think he was warm and friendly. I think he was very approachable. And if that's not enough, the Bible says this about him. If you're taking note, jot this down. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, to you, Jesus, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed Jesus, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. What? Jesus, guys, was anointed by his father with the oil of gladness and joy. He couldn't stop smiling. He's just walking around. He's like, I mean, think about it. Like, like last week when he called Philip, right? We thought he was like, follow me. And, and we, and people are like, okay. But I, I bet he is smiling. Philip, <laughs> what are you doing? Let's go. We got work to do. Follow me. And Philip's like, man, I got it. That dude, there's something about him. Why? Well, the Bible said the father had just doused him with the oil of joy and gladness. I think that's another good reason why you should, you should invite Jesus to your wedding. Pastor, your point? Guys, Jesus came to this wedding. He was invited, but he came with full joy. He was glad. He smiled. He laughed. He, true joy came from Jesus. There he was. And here's what I love, guys. Here's what I love. We're going to see in just a moment that not only Jesus was inside with the invited guests and he's talking to them, he's having a good time, but he would, he would often excuse himself and come out with the servants and say how they were doing. How's it going? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the next wedding you go to? You say to your guests, hi, how are you? Okay, I'll be right back. And you go into the kitchen where all the people are working. You're like, hey, what's up? They look at you like, what are you doing? You're a guest, not Jesus. Jesus went to both of them. And not only that church, but listen, listen. Later on, we discover that he performed a miracle to save this special day from being ruined. Well, how so? Well, guys, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Wine in Scripture is often a type of joy in the life of a believer. Wine in Scripture, whenever you see it, it's often a type of joy. Now, listen to what I said. I didn't say that they drank wine and then they were happy. All I said is it was a type, okay? There was a type of joy whenever you see that. Now, let's pick up our story in chapter 2. Our text this morning will break down this way. We're going to see the situation in verses 1 and 2. 
And then in verses 3 to 10, we'll see the sign, we'll see the purpose. And then in verse 11, we'll finish with the significance. Y'all ready? We're invited to, everybody got your smiling faces on because we're at this wedding. Some of you are inside, some of you are outside. That's okay, we're all the same. We're at this wedding, here we go. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. The one thing, church, that we can glean from these verses is that Mary must have been related somehow to the bride and groom. And you go, I don't see that. How do you see that in there? It says that, first of all, Mary was already there and Jesus was invited. So somehow Mary was involved in this. And now, and again, she was more than an invited guest. Now, here's what we know. You ready? Here's the general observation. There's a wedding and we're having fun. There's a wedding. We don't know who the bride and groom is. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that weddings are joyous occasions and Jesus, the man of joy, was there. We do know that it was taken place in a place called Cana. Cana is this little village in the region of Galilee. Now, church, I've been to Cana. I drove right through there. Nothing significant about it. Nothing grand. It's just a village. It's a town now. People were working and it was the same as any other town in Israel. But that's where this wedding was, not too far from Nazareth. Now, let me give you the significance of Cana. You go, what is it? The significance of having this wedding of Cana and being in the word of God is its insignificance. What? Just as God chose unlikely candidates to do his work, think of Moses, Gideon, David, think about the disciples, right? Right. Remember last week we said, how would we pick disciples? Well, we'd gather a good team. Okay, we'd get the best finance, we'd get the best creative, we'd make sure we got some wealthy people. The, the significance of Cana is there is no significance. And so, you know how God chooses the most unlikely candidates he also chooses the most unlikely places to reveal his glory you go how so okay here's the here's the question here's the test let's see how many of you you go i don't like tests that's okay i'll give you the answers where was jesus born bethlehem good very insignificant right where was jesus from nazareth can anything good come out of nazareth where is this wedding in cana here's my point you guys ready think about this think about this for just a second God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. He's going to choose ordinary people like you and I to do extraordinary work. We have to be willing to say yes to Jesus and watch him work. Oftentimes we limit ourselves because I can't do anything for God. I don't have any education. I don't have any training. I don't know what I'm doing. And God goes, listen, if you'll just, if you'll just believe in me, if you'll just trust me, the, the work I'm going to give you is going to be extraordinary, not because of you, but because of who I am. And you just got to go, amen, amen, amen. That's what Cain is all about. Can I switch gears here for just a moment and give you a side note about something? You go, what's that? Jesus' mother appears in the gospel, only here and at the cross in chapter 19. And her name is not mentioned in either occasion. You go, wow, what does that mean? 
salvation is only about Jesus. And we don't venerate Mary and put her in a place that's above God. In this gospel, she's only mentioned twice and not even by name. So, Pastor, your point, here it is. You ready, church? Listen. Mary was blessed among women. Can I get an amen? God chose her just like he chose every one of you. What do you mean? God chose her to be the vessel in which Jesus would be inside her and come out. But you guys are the very vessel in which Jesus lives. She was blessed among women, guys. We are blessed to have Christ inside us. We don't venerate Mary. We go, wow, thank Lord. I want to be, I want to be used by God that way. That church was the situation. Let's look at the sign. Picking it up in verse 3. And guess what? So right there, they're at this wedding. Man, you hear the, everybody hear the music? You're smiling. You're having a good time. Food's all over. You're having a great time. People are t- talking. And they've drunk, they've drunk some wine. They've had, it, they've had some wine. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? Verse 3 happens. And when they ran out of wine, uh-oh, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, a couple of things are happening right here. You go, what is it? Captain Obvious tells us that they ran out of wine, right? There's, there's no more. You need to understand that our weddings in the United States and their weddings are so different, okay? You go, what do you mean? Their weddings lasted seven days. If you were going to have a wedding, okay, G and Lori, they're in the front seat, so they're going to get it. G and Lori are going to get married. They're already married, but for the sake of the teaching, they're going to get married. This is, they're not just going to have a one day, you know, hey, come to our wedding and, and, and we're going to feed you. They're going to have seven days, and so they have to provide enough food and wine for seven days. But they ain't just inviting the family. You, you tracking with me? It's the whole village. Everybody went to the wedding. The problem is, what? Wine. They ran out of wine. And the people here, guys, they live plain lives, but they expected to have plenty of food and wine for the wedding. Plenty of food. Weddings, Jewish weddings, were a community celebration. And if you ran short of wine, it would be a serious embarrassment for the host parents and the newlyweds. And the community, guys, it would just be, they would remember the shame of the family that they failed to provide adequate wedding for a wedding. You go, what does that mean? Let's fast forward. If, if this was going on today, right, here's what you would do. If somebody mentioned, hey, I think they're out of wine. Oh, you'd get out your smartphone and right away you'd post, can't believe went to this wedding, no wine. Right? You'd be taking selfies. You're like, hey, I'm at this wedding. They ran out of wine, and it would just be a social disgrace. Hashtag whoever the bride and groom was, right? That's what they would do, right? All of your life, can you imagine? There you are, shopping and, and getting groceries, and people are like, that, that's the people that ran out of wine. They're losers. You know, I mean, it's just silly. But that's what it was all about, guys. That was, that's what it was all about. There's no wine. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings in my life. I've only been to one wedding where they ran out of food. As an invited guest, we came in, my wife and my two daughters, and it was like there was nothing left to eat. So we've made it a rule to stop at McDonald's before going to every wedding. <laughs> Make sure there's something. 
Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody goes like, I don't know what's good. I don't know the whole food situation, so let's just uh, make sure we eat. Let's make sure we eat. Now, the second thing we realize what's going on here is Mary had a vested interest as a relative, right? How do you know? Because she turned to Jesus as to tell them, Jesus, they have no wine. So she has a vested interest. And you go, well, okay, well, let me give you, let me give you three schools of thought, okay? Why she turned to Jesus at this moment. Three schools of thought. Number one, there's a strong possibility that she has been a widowed for some, from, for so, some number of years, and now she was leaning on Jesus for support. As his son, she would say, okay, Jesus has handled the majority of her problems, and he, and she's confident that, that basically can do that, right? He's like, okay, Jesus, Jesus, you're my son. They have no wine. Number two, perhaps she expects him to what? To take a collection from the disciples to purchase additional wine. Can you imagine? Jesus, they have no wine. Okay, mom, I'm on it. Santos, get a collection. Get, get, get everybody go. So we need, we need to save this. Go, go to the local five and get some wine. She might have thought that. Or number three, maybe Mary had something in her heart and she thought, you know what? He's capable of doing something. He's been different all of his life. Here's the answer. You ready? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, and we don't know. But what we do know is this. She turns to Jesus. She turns to Jesus. Can I give you a nugget of truth this morning, church? We know that wine is what? Wine is a type of joy. And now they're running out of their joy. They have no joy left. They have no wine. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with with your joy, you're losing your joy. Life has just, it's just beat the joy out of you. Satan has stolen your joy. You just, you just, you wake up every morning, you just don't have that joy of the Lord. Let me, let me just encourage you guys. Turn to the one who can give you joy. You see, if we're being honest, what, what, what the world tells us to do is turn to the world. Go find those things that you like to do and you'll be happy. Guys, it never satisfies. It never satisfies. We were watching a documentary yesterday from a famous football player that got caught up in drugs and ended up going to prison. And he said, quote, I wasn't happy when I made $5 million a year. And he said, and I felt satisfied making $15 an hour. And you know what I thought? Money doesn't satisfy Money doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring happiness. Turn to the one that brings you joy. That's what Mary did. They're out of wine, Jesus. In your life today, if you're going, Pastor, my heart hurts. I just don't have that joy. Turn to Jesus. You go, how? It's really simple. Lord, my joy is lost. The enemy has robbed me of my joy. Come. And what? Well, remember the psalmist in Psalm 51, 12? What does he say? Restore unto me the joy of thyself and renew the right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me, Lord, yourself. I need that joy. Now, now listen, I get the fact that you go, man, I, you go, I've got joy, but sometimes in my life, I, it's just bummer city. You know what I'm talking about? Ever lived at bummer city for a while? I think it's up in Colorado somewhere, but it's, it's just there. 
That doesn't mean you lose your true joy. It just means that, that you've been, some days they're going to be bummed. You're just going to be bummed. That's okay. But true joy, you run to Jesus and it's always in you. And it's always in you. Back to our story. Imagine with me, guys. It's a wedding. And Jesus is having a great time. Picture this. I know you can't. I know you can't because we haven't been conditioned this way. Picture Jesus laughing. I wonder if Jesus was dancing. You know, there's music and he's just swaying to him. He's having a good time and people are around him and he's smiling. And this is Jesus. You go, stop that. That's sacrilegious. No, I mean, he's a man of joy. He's just having a good time. And so he's like over here with the guests and he's like, hey, Mel, how you doing? Good to see you, bro. That's awesome. That's awesome. How you doing, Tim? Got those eight tracks right on, brother. And then he'd run over here and he'd come over to the, the servants. He'd go, how's it going in here? Can I get you anything? You know, how you, how you doing? And, and he's just, he's just having a good time and people are just so excited. And, and I think he might be dancing, right? And he's smiling and he's looking at the couple and he's got this great godly approval. And he's like, why? Cause God created the wedding. He was his idea. The marriage can get an amen. So he's sitting there going, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. Why? I, I, I did the whole thing. I, yeah. So my idea. And then guess what happens? His mom says, Jesus, they have no wine. And so Jesus turns to his mother and smiles, right? You, we, we would think he would say it like this, woman. I bet he smiled at his, at his mom. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, to you and I, we'd go, man, I'd never tell my mom. Anybody ever call your mom woman? I'd have a sandal upside my face in two seconds. What, you call me woman? Oh, sorry, Mom. Oh, okay. It's not a disrespect, okay? Whenever we see woman, okay, here's what I want you to jot down, okay? It's a Semitic expression that can mean, Mom, I'm not sure what you want me to do. Or it might be, what does this have to do with me? I'm an invited guest. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like I, like, like I did a wedding a month ago. Nathalie and I were at a wedding. Uh, of our cousin, and um, we were sitting, and in, 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 we were like in the, if we're sitting in the in the dinner, the reception, and she and Nathalie heard that they needed something, and she looked at me and she's, "Honey, they need this." I'd be like, "I'm an invited guest. What can I do?" You, you see, you see how that's what it is. Now, the term "woman" is just kind of that, like, okay, he uses that one more time. Remember when he says at the cross, he says, "Woman, behold your son," right? And then he says, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And so he's, he's using that term. And he says, mom, listen, my hour has not yet come. Now, here's what I want you to grasp, guys. In the teaching of the word of God, here's what's going on. At this point, he says, it's not yet for me to be glorified, but here's the term. He's saying, at this point, I'm no longer under your authority as your son. I'm about to begin my ministry of the father. And from here on out, you'll hear him say, I'm only here to do what the Father tells me to do. So at this point, he goes, listen, I know that, I know that I'm your son. And, and when mama say something, sons go, yes, mama. At this point, he's going, my hour's not yet come. I'm not glorified. But it's starting at this point, mom, I have to do the will of the Father. I have to do the will of the Father. 
And then his mom does something that I don't understand. Look at verse 5 with me, church. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Like, like I just told mom, what does that have to do with me? And she goes, just listen to him. And I'm like, okay, can you imagine the servants? The servants are like, I don't know what to do here. Jesus. Here's where it gets interesting. Look at verse 6. Now there were what? Six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons of peace. Now, here's what I want you to note with me. You ready? How many water pots are here? It's not a trick question. You can just read. How many water pots? Six. You guys are awesome. You're just like, I don't know. I'm going to let somebody else answer. There were six, okay? Right here, there were six water pots, and they were stone. And you go, what's the point? Okay. Here it is, okay? One of the things you need to notice is that it was stone. And you go, why? Because in the, in the Jewish purification, before they came into the wedding, they would wash ceremonially, ceremonially. Now, I don't know where my, I know where my hands have been. I don't know where your hands have been. I don't know where anybody's house has been. So when you wash and so forth, all of your impurities would go into the water. You guys with me? If it was made of clay, and you know that there's a lot of clay, a lot of, of, of it, clay is very porous, and all the impurities would stick to that. So they made sure to tell us that it was stone so that there wouldn't be stu- any of the impurities would not be stuck or on the stone. And you go, okay, that's cool. A lot of information I'll probably never use. Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. We also know that there are six water pots. Six. Everybody say six. Okay, four of you. Here's what uh, Barclay, the commentator, notes. He says that the Jews often regarded seven as the number of perfect or complete. Everybody hear that? Seven is the number of completion. So that would mean six would be the number of incomplete. And here's what Barclay believes. He believes that there were six jars. It stands for all the imperfections in the Jewish law. You go, wow. So what are you saying? No matter how much you can clean on the outward, it's still not enough for you to get saved. Let that sink in. The writer of the story didn't have to say there were six, but God's word is so deep, you're going, wow, here's the outer ceremonial cleansing, and there were six. And Barclay goes, see, that's the number of incompletion just like the law. You can't keep the law. You need to be under grace. Wow. Oh, but it gets better, right? It's like those Ginsu knives. Oh, but there's more. Look at verse 7. <laughs> Jesus does something crazy. He tells the servants, look, and he said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now, guys, understand what's going on here, okay? You've got six water pots, pretty big. Jesus smiles and goes, hey, fill them with water. What do you think he, what do you, well, first of all, I'm thinking, who is this dude? Why is he filling them with water? I mean, just water? Hey, Jesus, I got a question. You know they ran out of wine, right? I mean, we have plenty of water, but they ran out of wine. Why do you want us to fill it with water? He's been out in the hot sun too long? I mean, what's going on here? He, Jesus says, fill him, fill him with water. Church, be honest, would you? 
You'd fill them with water. You, you think this is crazy? Why would I fill them with fill them with water for? First thing I would think is, are you are you expecting more guests? Are you expecting more guests because you're filling? I just I don't know. But here's what I want you to see, guys. That's a crazy request. Can can I get an amen on that? Isn't that crazy? But the servants obey Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. They didn't only obey him like when he's not looking, they put a couple of gallons in there. You know, it's like, I did it. They filled it to the rim. Why, they, and, and here's what I want you to see. You ready? If you're a servant of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're willing to obey no matter how ridiculous the command is. How crazy you think God is telling you. God is telling me to do something. I just need to obey. I just need to obey. God's calling me to go into the mission field in Ethiopia. You're crazy. However crazy it is, what is, what is he? I need to obey. That's exactly what the servants did. And that's what servants do, church. Servants take his word and go, I'm going to obey this no matter what. I ain't tripping. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. I love to commend the servants here for just a second. You go, why is that? Well, first, think about this. They don't know why Jesus issued the command. They don't know what he's doing. He's, I mean, they're just obeying. And second of all, think about the task for just a second, okay? They had to haul and pour nearly 200 gallons of water in, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, it's a lot of work. And they did it. Listen, church, listen to me. God made you to work hard. That's how he created you. And when Jesus tells us to do something, there they go. Look at verse 8. And he said to them, this is Jesus, right? Now, he says, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they did. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that was now made wine... He did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast calls the bridegroom, hey, bro, come here, come here. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, but when the guests have well drunk, then they, then the inferior wine. He says, but you've kept the good wine until now. Now, this blows my mind. Why? I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm telling you the truth, okay? You've asked me to pour water into these big six water pots. And now you're taking to draw some out and take it. Listen, Jesus, it's water. I put water in. Water's coming out. What do you want me to take it to the master of the feast for? Something, something about to happen. What's that? I'm going to get fired. And not only that, I'm going to be the laughing stock and I'm going to have to move out of Cana. You guys with me? I'm taking water and I'm going to try. I'm, and listen, all the way I'm taking water, I'm going, man, I hope they're drunk. Man, I hope they're drunk because, because <laughs> then they won't know, right? And the master's like, Man, that's pretty good. Save my job. That's what I'm thinking. Why? Because I don't know Jesus turned it into wine. I'm just, take the water. Take the water. And all of a sudden, the, the master goes, wow, this is good. And the servants kind of go, we were there. Knew it all along. Knew it all along. I poured the water in. And then he calls the bridegroom, right? Then he calls the groom. Come here. Listen, because this is a week-long ceremony, man, when everybody's drunk, I mean, when everybody's drink, everybody's had a good time, and you kind of bring out the leftovers, the sobres, you know, the very end, very, you know, right? 
It's the inferior wine. And people don't care because it's almost over. He says, but not you. You're crazy. You, you, you saved the best wine for last. Nobody does that. And could you imagine the bridegroom? He's like, you know, <laughs> what has two thumbs and has no clue what's going on? This guy. Because he doesn't know. Now think about this for a moment, church. The chief steward in charge of the wine would also share in the embarrassment. He's responsible not only for the quantity of the wine, but for its quality and distribution. Here's my point, church. They put water in the pots, and Jesus now wants them to take and serve it as wine. And this is either going to be really good, or I'm going to have to move. I'm going to get fired. I mean, this is going to be embarrassing. But here's what I want to do. I want to draw your attention, guys, to the punchline. You ready? Here's the punchline. Underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do. It says, you have kept the good wine until now. Everybody see that? You have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. Let's not miss it, church. Now, the key to understanding this story runs deeper than just the first, than just Jesus' first miracle. You go, what do you mean? More than saying we need to invite Jesus into our weddings and our marriages, more than Jesus turns our gloom into joy by this miracle, which are all true, let's dig deeper. Now, now, let me say this. It is so important you invite Jesus to the wedding, but far more important that he sticks around for the marriage. How many times we go, Jesus was there, yay! And then we say, okay, Jesus, we got it from here. Let's, we're out. We need to invite him into the marriage. More than, guys, when, we, when we're when we bummed out and we're just not happy and life has hit us with a bunch of stuff, more than just, Jesus, turn my gloom, turn my frown upside down, which is great. He will. He'll bring true joy. But more than that, guys, there's something more going on here. You go, what is it? Let's dig a little bit deeper. God at this point has shown us and Israel something so mind-blowing that they can't grasp it. You go, what's that? God has saved up till the last, the very best gift to Israel in the world. His best gift was not in Israel's past when Moses got the law. His best gift wasn't in Joshua when he allotted them all the land. Right here, we see that Jesus is the wine. And he said, okay, I've kept the best wine until the coming of Jesus. Do you see it? I've kept that. Israel thought they were excited when they got the law. We're somebody's people. Israel was excited when they got their land. But Jesus goes, guys, that, that was the fortune. Let me, I'm saving the best wine for the last. Who is it? Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm the Messiah. Can I give you an ounce of hope? You go, what's that, Pastor? We're living in the last days of this wedding feast we call life. And Jesus is going to come back for us and save the very best for last. He's coming back. So if you're weary, soldier, if you're tired, if you look on the world and go, I just don't know how we can last another 10 or 15 years, be, 
hey, listen, Jesus is already on the scene and he's going to come. And he's going to come to our wedding. And you know how he's going to come to the wedding? With the, with the sound of a trumpet and with the voice of an archangel. And he's going to say, hey, I've got a better wedding. And we're going, Lord, I'm tired of drinking this wine. I'm tired. It's, it's, it's inferior. And he goes, I got better wine. You ready? Come on up. Come on up. L- listen to me, church. Sidetrack. Side, side note, okay? When a loved one that knows Jesus dies, although we'll miss him, we'll miss her, it is a beautiful thing. Because now they're tasting wine, and there's joy, and it's amazing. And we don't have to go, oh. We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. You know what we do? We go, wow. They're never more alive than they are right now. And heaven has become never more real than when we lose a loved one that goes to heaven. You go, what's the point? Here's my point. Can I offer you a challenge, church? Then it's our job to tell everyone about Jesus, about, about who he is. That's our job. You see, we think church is here. We think church is here. I go to church. No, 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 no. This is where you come and get equipped. Then you go outside, and God's going to put special people in your life who need to hear the word. And you're gonna, you're, and somebody's going to come up to you and go, hey, how do I get saved? I get saved. Yeah, I've noticed your life, and you just seem to have joy. I mean, and, and I've noticed that, you, you know, let me tell you about the one that can save you. Let me tell you about the one that can save you. So this story then, church, becomes a story about what? Moving from water of the law of works to even the inferior wine of the law and to the best wine of Jesus. You go, what's that? Grace. Grace. He changes the water of Judaism into the water of Christianity. The water of Christlessness to the wine of the richness and the fullness of eternal life in Christ. The water of the law into the wine of the gospel. That's what he does. Now, let me close with this, church. Let's close. I want to close with the last point. What's it all about? What's the significance? Look at verse 11. This is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Do you hear that? That's the whole significance. That's the purpose. What's that? We, if we were there, we would have said, did you see the miracle? Did you see it? <laughs> I mean, and listen, did you realize when Mary said, hey, Jesus, they have no wine. He's like, they've drunk enough wine. They can just, you know, he made what? He made 180 gallons worth of wine. Because Jesus is not about, he's not a killjoy, and he's not about to, you know, harsh your buzz kind of thing. He's about giving you true joy in life that you know. And he says, man, we've got more where this comes from. He doesn't give us grace in a thimble. He pours these 50-gallon barrels of grace in our lives, and he says, want some more? And you're just like this, ha, ah, grace. What's the significance, church? John didn't use the word miracle. He used the word signs. Look at that. In the beginning of signs, you know, what does that mean? 
Well, a sign is something that points to reality beyond itself. In both the Old and the New Testaments, signs or signs and wonders cracked open heaven just a bit to give earthbound people a glimpse of God's of godly truth. That's a sign. You go, Ben, what's the significance of the story? Here it is. You ready? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you really believe? Do you believe that he's a man of joy and he's come to bless you? Do you believe that he, 2,000 years ago, came, walked this earth, and went to the cross? Because here's the thing. Now, now listen, listen. Hebrews tells us for the joy of the Lord, right? He endured the cross, right? And I don't know anybody who can endure a cross with joy. So what was the joy? It definitely wasn't the, it definitely wasn't the, the nails in his hands or the nail in his feet or the crown of thorns or the whipping or anything. So what was the joy? You want to know what the joy was? The joy was you. You're his joy. And because you brought him so much joy, he went and endured the cross. Why? Because he wants you there with him. He wants you there. And here's what I love about Jesus, guys, is that he doesn't force anyone to come to heaven with him. He just says, listen, I've got better wine in heaven. Are you in? And you go, Pastor, I'm, I'm tired of drinking the wine here. And he goes, I've got better wine here. Why? Because I know this world and I want to walk with you in it. We get the best of both worlds. Why? We get to go to heaven. That's done. But we get Jesus to walk with us each and every day. And when my heart breaks, I have nothing but Jesus. And so here's my, here's my plea to you. Where are you today? Because some of you might be here and you go, Ben, honestly, I feel like I'm a million miles away. I feel like, I feel like God and I are so far away. I just, I don't. I'll be honest with you, Pastor, I pray and I don't even know if he hears me. I'm that far away from him. But listen, you may be that far away from him right now, but you're one decision away with his arms wide open for you to say yes. And here's the question. Do you have eternal life? Do you have life in him? But what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Well, the Lord is, 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 the word of God is really simple. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. That's all I have to do. That's all you have to do. So what should I do, Pastor? Well, the minute I'm going to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to what? Just to open up your heart and say yes. Yes to Jesus. Why do I, what do I need to do? Well, we're going to all close our eyes and we're going to bow our heads. And I'm just asking you to go, Pastor, pray for me. Just, just lift up your hand. That's all you got to do. Pastor, why do I have to lift up my hand? I don't want people to see me. No, no, no. I want God to see you. I want God to see your heart where you go, yes, yes, I want to follow God. I'm not playing church. I'm going to follow God. He'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll give you true joy. True joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. Thank you that you're a man of joy, smiling, dancing, laughing, having a good time. <sighs> thank you for inviting us to a wedding. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't have the joy of the Lord. I, I don't know if I'm really saved, but I want to be saved. I want to have that joy you talk about. I really want that. Pray for me.
And I would ask you, at the sound of my voice, if that's you, all you have to do is lift your hand and I'll pray for you. No one else will see. God will see your heart. All you have to do is say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus. Will you do that right now? If God is, if God is touching your heart, all you have to do is just lift your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I want the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to know that when I die, I'll go to heaven. I just want to know that. Is there anyone? All you have to do is lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. Uh, God bless you, sir, in the back. I see you. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for this gentleman, Lord, surrendering to you, wants to know you, and wants true joy. I pray for him right now. I pray that he would receive you and he would receive the great gift of God, forgiveness. And so, Lord, I thank you for him and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.